0: You're listening to Who Raised You Podcast, a kitchen table conversation between Karen Jia Lian Yang and Treasure Shields Redmond.
1: Unfurled and unafraid, we're centering voices of color from flyover country, and we start every podcast with a poem.
2: My name is Justin Philip Reed, and this poem is titled Carolina Prayer. Let the blood, if your belly, must have it, but let it not be of me and mine. Let my mama sleep. Let her pray. Let them eat. Let the reverend's devil pass over me. Let the odds at least acknowledge us. Let the breasts be intact, the insulin faithfully not far. And let the deep red pinpoint puddle its urgency on a pricked fingertip. Let the nurse find the vein the first time. Let the kerosene flow and let my grandma praise her bedside lord for letting her miss another winter. Let me be just a little bit bitter so I'll remember your columns and borders ain't but the fractured, the broke clean, the brownest gouges in the blades of our great, great, great shoulders. Let me leave and come back when my chest opens for you wider than your ditches did to gorge my placeless body. The mosquito-thick breath in your throat coats my skin and it almost feels as if you love me. Let the A.C. drown out the TV. Let the lotion bottle keep a secret corner till Friday. Let Ike, Juan, D-block all my brother's brothers ride through the weekend. Let the cop car swerve its nose into night and not see none of them. Let us smell rain. Let the breeze through an oak Him the promise that keeps us waking, let the cicada unwind while hush puppy steam slips out the knot of a tourist's hand and let him hear in it legends of how hot grease kept the hounds in the lash at bay.
1: black poet from Mississippi and a Taiwanese American minister from Silicon Valley had a podcast. We're
0: about to find out.
1: We might even blow up shu You're
0: listening to Who Raised You? A kitchen table conversation between Karen, Jialian Yang, that's me, and Treasure Shields Redmond. As we explore how culture, family, and intersecting identities pave our way toward liberation, we want to know who raised you. We're really curious. Sit down. We have lots to talk about.
1: Awesome. Today, we're joined by Sonny Hutton, and it is Sonny, right? All right. Sonny Hutton is a St. Louis native, educator, and poet. She began writing poetry in elementary school as her way of coping with tumultuous childhood experiences. She describes her motivation to write as, Where I am muted in life, the volume increases on paper.
0: Mm. I love that too
1: Some of her works include customized pieces for organizations such as Inspire STL and Magdalene St. Louis She's a St. Louis native, educator, performance poet, activist and proclaimed lover with her BS in education policy from Vanderbilt's Peabody College and Masters of Education from the University of Missouri SUNY uses her ability to write and empathize with individuals to teach workshops around the city, such as Central Prince Prince print and Poetry Workshop, okay, I'm gonna get it out, as well as motivate populations to action, including graduates of Inspire STL, Magdalene St. Louis's employees, St. Louis Public Radio's Where We Live Here, Green Party Rally, and Socialist Alternatives' Mass March. Although she freely shares her writings, original poetry served as a way to voice her struggles in childhood, relationships, and bouts of depression. A slam-winning poet, Sonny Hutton is currently using her platform to teach and tell her truth. Mm. Mm. As a performance poet, she's theatrical in performance, honest in content, and overall captivating. So, Sonny, how are you doing? I'm good. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing a lot. You're, you're doing a lot.
0: Multitudes. Hello. <laughs>
1: Um, I am so glad that you've agreed to join us. Um, We knew that we wanted to feature a conversation with you in an episode about the master's tools because whether we can use the the quote-unquote master's tools to dismantle his house continues to be a foundational question for those of us trying to do radical work and operating in radical spaces. You know Karen and I both have a particular story when it comes to how we grapple with those contradictions. And we're really excited to hear your take on all of that, especially as someone who studied educational policy. So the first question, the famous question is, who raised you?
3: Oh, my ma'am. My mother (laughs) and all of the many women in my family. Mm. My mom is... um, she was the oldest out of three. And mm-hmm. we grew up mostly my family migrated from Birmingham, Alabama, and they moved to Kenlock. If y'all familiar with Kinloch in, in St. Louis County, one mm-hmm. of the uh one of a thriving black neighborhood. My family used to tell me stories about Kenlock. Like you didn't have to leave Kenlock. You didn't have to go anywhere. Mm. Because they had the candy shop, they had the furniture store, they had the movie theater, and it was the majority of it was uh, black owned and black populated. Mm. So they grew up in that area, but my mom was a part of like the poor Kenlock, not the middle class, uh, not the upper class, just the the poor black Kenlock. And her experience, her mother, my my grandmother, her mother, actually. You know, we go through some things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Her mother actually left them at a young age, and my mother was forced to raise her her younger brother and her younger sister on her own. Mm. And she was probably, what, like, early teens doing that? Oh, wow. So she took on that role as as mom at an early age but then also had a child at a young age around 16 and so had to be like double mom Mm. and my grandmother would leave during the first of the month would leave the food stamps on the table so that they so she could at least feed them Mm. and because she took on that role she she was kind of like the mama for everybody in the family and she still is to this day and she raised me, and so I am just like her.
0: Okay, I was say, how much of that was passed on? You know, oh. like growing up fast, like taking care of others, and mom for everyone. Yeah, so I'm a boss. I'm not gonna lie.
3: Okay, because <laughs> don't of hold her, back. Because of her, I'm bossy as fuck, mm-hmm. and uh, but also because of her, I just I love I love being around my family. I have five siblings so it's six of us in total my aunt and her kids always lived with us so we had a house of 11 Mm. so it was always I'm I'm so used to being around people and I love it and I enjoy it and I get my energy from that Mm. and I do take on that role of taking care of other people I'm the one who's always cooking Mm. Um, even when I moved out to the south side I used to live here as a youth but when I came back to the south side And I started making friends out here. I would just invite everybody over, and we would we would eat.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. because you need a home and you need to be
3: nourished. So come to my place. Exactly. Because the thing is, I want people to do that for me. Mm
0: Right.
3: Um. I may not like say it, but Mm -hmm. if you feed me, you got me. Especially if it's good,
0: <laughs> right? So, so this means we have something on our to-do list because we find ourselves at a coffee shop today. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sunny, thankfully, it is your day off, and mm-hmm. you've celebrated with pizza and beer. Usually, <laughs> um, at my kitchen table, we have a little bit of a spread, and that's how we show hospitality as part of our podcast. So we have on to-do list to make that happen Mm -hmm. okay so i'll be looking Mm -hmm. forward at
3: a sunday invite for food (laughs) (laughs) yep i love love a day when i don't have to cook Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. but with um but with my mom it was you know just you know you just feed people you take care of them and then you do what you have to do as as a mom or as 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 a woman you just take on that role
1: so you're this young black child raised in the predominantly Black um, suburban community of Kenlock. Eleven people in the home, and two. There are two. Your aunt and your mom are the two adults, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what we know about your biography is that you eventually went to Vanderbilt, which is pretty damn Tony. <laughs> <laughs>
0: not
1: a, not a lot of people with eleven folks in the house, maybe eleven servants, but. <laughs> I mean, so how did that happen and what was it like for you to let them, you know, let them have some of that soul St. Louis vibe oh at <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like Vandy, as they call it. They do
3: call it Vandy. <laughs> Yo, like, honestly, my school was everything for me. That's where I thrived. Um, going, like, and my teachers really took a liking to me. They would take me to church with them. They would take me to their homes in St. Charles, and I'd be looking around like, "Oh, that's a big window. How are those ceilings? Like, oh, that's that's what they do out here, mm-hmm. right?" They would even try to get me to date their sons. It was crazy. Um, but I I was really nourished by the by the teachers and the administration of my schools, from student council to when they wanted to pilot a program to you know, to offer us more like AP courses or college courses, they called on me. <laughs> they were like, you. they pushed me to be a part of it. So they really nurtured me in that way. And I would say the only, the way that I got to Vanderbilt was through, was through them, like them believing in me and them telling me that I could do it. Um, Because my mom didn't, she didn't help me throughout that process. Like, she didn't know how to fill out a college application. Mm. She she didn't know, like, what financial aid was and scholarship opportunities. Mm. So I had to just, like, (laughs) luckily, like, luckily, like, because it's rare. Like, because these same teachers didn't treat someone else who was making C's the same way that they treated a person like me who was making A's.
2: Mm.
0: so there was some like exceptionality that was a part of that and so there's like the mixed feelings of like yes I'm so glad that we're able to kind of have this connection and at the same time like what about the other people yeah, mm. yeah. I even talked to I talked to a, I actually stopped speaking to
3: one of my teachers because of that same reason mm. when she came to visit me when I was out at Vanderbilt and she, we met at the IHOP. I just left the Isaiah Rashad concert because it's very rare to get hip hop in Nashville. Okay, that's <laughs> why so I had to leave. Um, but I, but I meet her at the IHOP, and she's like, "Well, why couldn't your, you know, why couldn't the people who you went to school with, why couldn't they have made it?" She's like, "You're at Vanderbilt. Why couldn't they have done it?" She said, "It's because they're lazy." And I had, to, and I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Are you telling me that I like?" that a, a, a whole population of people you're gonna like generalize them and say that they're lazy because those people you're talking about is my family now
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I know what we went through and I know the struggles that we had and I know how hard it is my mom worked three fucking jobs mm-hmm. and so for you to say something like that it just it broke my heart to, mm-hmm. to have someone who did support me to say that that my people is lazy and I know that not to be the case because we work more hours than any other person that makes over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. We work work more hours than they could ever dream of. Mm. So that that was that was that was a hard place to be. And we, I just recently got back in contact with her to try to mend that relationship and like try to explain to her why I felt the way that I did. Mm. Um, but um. Uh, but because of the support that I did get from them, and the motivation, and the knowledge that they had, I was able to, I was able to attend
0: Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. And then now, uh, you found yourself journeying through education as well, huh? Yeah. Education at Vanderbilt that was that was a stark
3: difference, <laughs> yeah, from what I was used to to what I was being exposed to. Mm we have this um group on facebook called overheard at vandy Mm -hmm. and you probably have it at like a bunch of other universities too Mm -hmm. and it's just like people type up put like little statuses about what someone what they overheard someone saying
2: (laughs) oh lord oh (laughs) yeah
1: and you have so it's like black at yale black at harvard they also have those those uh kind of groups too
3: Well, this one, it was open to anybody, though. Okay, okay. But it was just like, if we heard you say some crazy stuff, or some things (laughs) you ain't never heard before, it got posted. And I remember seeing someone... There was a post about someone talking about, like, their family's private jet.
1: Mm. (laughs) Oh, just a private jet.
3: It's just a private jet. Like, it's it's nothing to us. And I was... And I just... What I came in contact with was just a stark difference. Mm-hmm. I didn't. What a private jet? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. I think. What I, do you use it for? Yeah, right? yeah, like where do you fill it up? Like does, does, it, take does <laughs> it take a bus
1: car Does it take a bus card? The
3: question. I've been, <laughs> the question I've been trying to find the answer to. Uh, Metro St. Louis bus right. car. <laughs>
1: Right. oh my goodness so yeah I mean that, that really that, that that puts a highlight on the kind of class difference that you were confronted with but you know what since this episode is about the master's tools I you know what I thought was, was intriguing was that schools do so much to to miseducate us mm-hmm. right so it's you and I have kind of similar paths in that I studied education undergrad too and I went on to teach. I taught high school for about 10 years and then I taught college for about 10 years and while I was in education I was constantly at odds with myself because they they don't do everything that needs to be done to give black children the health wealth and safety that they deserve but you're kind of given this explanation like, well, this is how we do it. How are you going to go up against the whole system? Just make the change in your classroom. So how do you how do you reconcile that in your studies in education?
3: I'm thinking about when I went through, okay, so I did a degree in it's a long name, human and organizational development and education policy mm-hmm. and so I didn't get the traditional like education background mm-hmm. so because of that I went and did Teach for America mm-hmm. and was placed here in St. Louis for science middle middle school education and here in St. Louis they was doing things a little bit different I'm not even gonna lie. I was I was I was seeing a a, a transition mm-hmm. like between like what TFA was originally doing mm-hmm. and what they were doing what they're doing now. And I will say I did see some change warriors in the TFA staff. Okay. I saw people that attended um I don't know if you're familiar with like St. John, United Church of Christ, mm-hmm. over off of Graham. Mm-hmm. I saw people who attended that church. Who who I normally see, you know, at, in the pews. Who I normally see, like at the rallies. They were TFA staff.
1: Mm, um, and mm-hmm. this was
3: also um, Brittany. was her name? I believe. Mm-hmm. I, yes, yeah, and she uh-huh. was the executive director at that time. So they were trying to do this. They were calling it like transformational change, mm. um, and making sure that there was a social justice aspect when it came to teaching. Mm-hmm. So making sure that the content that we taught. Was connected to the backgrounds of the students, but also connected to like the macro issues and the macro system at hand. Mm-hmm. So you wanted to be able to make that connection with the kids. Mm-hmm. I will say that I did teach at a charter school, and they weren't having it. They, you know, a lot of a lot of places you go to at charter school, they just provide the curriculum for you and say mm-hmm. this is what you're supposed to teach and this is how you're gonna teach it. When you say they, do you mean administration? Administration, yes. Okay. Um, but I think with charter schools, it exceeds administration mm-hmm. because it's as if it's like a franchise. Mm-hmm. So it's like getting a pizza hut and saying this is the this is the, the slogans you're going to use. Mm-hmm. This is the logo that you're going to use. Mm-hmm. These are the prices you're going to keep it at. And they do a similar thing with charter schools. They mm-hmm. say this is the font you're going to use. <laughs> These are the <laughs> colors you get to choose from. Um, This is the type of uniforms they're going to wear. And these are some of the behavior systems that you're going to put into place. So
1: you have to stay on brand and on message. Yes. (laughs) You do.
3: And so I did, there was a conflict with what TFA St. Louis was teaching me versus like what the charter school wanted. So I I had to close my doors. There'd be times where I would do lessons and I would just have to close it. Mm -hmm. And that, and trying to just like, Teach to that to, to my little to my kids mm-hmm. and expose them to some things and engage in discussion with them and I tell you they ate that up they loved it mm-hmm. they they know more than we give them credit for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. I enjoyed it and I loved it but I did have struggles with administration just the constant conflict with administration because um, not only was the environment oppressive to the kids it was oppressive to teachers as well especially teachers who wanted to push those boundaries um, but using I think you said using the master's tools mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to tweak them I had to, to <laughs> modify master's tools okay <laughs> I had to, I had to modify those tools so mm-hmm. that they would, so I, 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 didn't, I couldn't lie to my kids about the reality, um, especially when
0: they're experiencing it on a regular basis. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Um, you brought up the kids know more than we have credit for, for where we give them credit for, because, um, my most recent job was working with children and I think about how there's more and more education now that's about like from the ground up let the students be co-teachers with you rather than just filling them in with information that's predetermined like in a way that kind of approach is really western it's really colonial it says like we know best and it doesn't teach people to think for themselves mm-hmm. yeah I like to think of myself as a facilitator mm-hmm.
3: like you know what I'm, saying? I'm gonna set up this environment for you and whatever you choose to do with it hey i'm gonna let it happen and maybe i'll ask questions along the way to push
0: you Mm -hmm. but they 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 are the teachers in my book
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and i i think about how you you pursued education policy and like a masters of education on purpose and um when you were kind of sharing about your experiences growing up i was thinking about um, my experience as like a second-generation immigrant where my parents wouldn't be able to walk me through like How do you apply for colleges here in the US or you know? How do you get financial aid which is both of which are you know what treasure has decided to like put herself to? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious because we asked a lot of our guests this too How do you see yourself now as kind of being who you wish? Um, was around for you when you were younger? Oh, that's always hard, right? I I think I got asked this a while ago. Mm-hmm.
3: Some they also I think it, I forget it was some type of assessment that we did and they wanted us to look at the people in our lives and the role that they played. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they they were like, who are the people that push you? Mm-hmm. Right? That And I didn't have anybody on that side. Because I remember calling my mama when I was in college and was just crying. Like, I can't do this. This is what's wrong. And she was, and she was just like, you know, whatever decision you make, you always have a place with us. Mm-hmm. And we're going to support you on that decision. Right? So she never said, girl, you better stay your butt in college and fight through that. <laughs> Something I would have liked. Mm-hmm. But, like, she didn't. But what I do appreciate about my mom is that she always allowed me to make my own decisions. Like, I had to figure it out. Mm. Um but the thing is it's like I don't if I didn't grow up the way that I did I wouldn't be fighting for what I'm fighting for now. Mm. And I wouldn't be the person that I am and I love who I am and I'm continuously growing and I, I have fun. Like <laughs> I that yeah. was a struggle but like mm. I have fun. We mm. kicked it. Like that's all I could ask for. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: It, you know what? You just reminded me of that Nikki Gio- Giovanni poem. Is it Nikki Rosa? Where she says, I hope no white person ever writes about me because all they'll talk about, they'll assume I was unhappy, mm-hmm. never understanding I was quite happy all the while. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move to your poet self. Mm-hmm. We've talked about your educational self and your policy-driven self. what
3: about the words how did you how did you meet the words how did you become a poet as a kid i just wrote um i i'm i'm not a very what's so crazy is that when when you asked me to do this i was i was kind of nervous i was like no but i i also appreciated it because no one really asked me questions about me and like, mm-hmm. and who I am and my background. Mm-hmm. And I also don't disclose that information.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but if somebody is willing to ask me, I'm willing to, to answer the question. And so being able to, um, losing my train of thought here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, being able to like have an opportunity to, to share with, with you like who I am is, is appreciated. And as a kid, I was the same way though. Like I didn't speak much. I just observe, mm. just watch, just observe. Mm-hmm. And whenever I felt some kind of way, I just wrote. Cause I mean that's also how my family was. The only, and I tell people this, the only emotion that my mama ever showed was anger. Really? Right. So you know when she was pissed off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I just. Anything that I felt, I kept it in, and then I would just write about it. And so that's that's how I that's how I started writing, and to this day, I'm trying to be more vocal mm-hmm. and communicative, but for the most part, I just write it down. Mm-hmm. And writing it down actually helps me understand what I'm feeling, mm-hmm. why I'm feeling it, mm-hmm. you know, and what caused it so it's just it's just another step before actually voicing it but you say
1: you don't share much but your bio says slam winning poet so you get up on stage and share some things and i actually came into contact with you uh leading a meeting with socialist alternative so
3: why don't you see that as sharing or do you? What, standing up on stage Yeah. And oh. oh, my goodness. <laughs> I didn't start sharing until, uh, I want to say, like, it was 2015, like, December of 2015. Mm. And I got up on an open mic stage and, like, shared a poem that I wrote. It was a sonnet. It was a Shakespearean sonnet.
1: Oh, yes. And it was <laughs> <laughs> the county stands. Up.
3: oh my oh goodness yes. and people looked at me crazy i'm not even gonna lie <laughs> you know because people were coming up and they were sharing their like spoken word pieces mm-hmm. you know? like, mm-hmm. for me to get up and share a sonnet people looked at me like me mm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and
3: then i had a friend tell me like they're like well if you want people to listen then you need to just write it the way that you speak because i when i write my shakespearean sonnets it <laughs> It's, it's like Elizabethan language mixed with um, the hood in me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I love that. It's fun to me. Uh, so it was like, just write it the way that you speak. And that's when I started just like saying things the way that I would normally say it in a conversation with someone. And... Um, it felt good to do that, mm-hmm. and I really liked it. It was like the it was the dish, the other step. So after the writing and realizing what everything means and why I feel that way, it was like now perform it and let it all out.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so I was able to let it out, and then people it resonated with people, and I was, uh, you know, eventually after a while, I, I couldn't even feel what I felt from when I initially wrote those pieces it didn't those, those feelings didn't matter anymore it's like I, I figured it out
1: and i
0: learned from it and now it's time to keep it pushing mm-hmm. 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 so would you say that performing it is kind of like the final stage of exploring a feeling that you're going through or something that you're trying to untangle or it's not always like that no
3: i think that's a good way to explain it yeah after after i get it out it's like
0: she has like this blissed out face right Right. now
3: yes people have their yoga I have my performance Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well I see that theme of modified tools coming through again because you took the Elizabethan you know Shakespearean sonnet but then you said you added or mixed it with some hood Mm -hmm. so once again we have the master's tools you know um the you know the us canon of literature it, it's it starts in you know Greece and <laughs> it ends somewhere in 1958 and it's mostly dead white men so <laughs> that's that's what I learned
3: in high school that's what they gave you exactly
1: me. exactly that's what we all were given um so but you modify those tools which brings me up to the socialist alternative alternative makes me think of modified tools too right yeah it's not straight socialism it's a socialist alternative so are you connected deeply with that group or were you just collaborating with them on the day that I saw you
3: yeah I would say I'm connected with them I'm the branch organizer of Socialist Alternative St. Louis Okay. wonderful, um, wonderful group of people
1: hmm and what's the mission of Socialist Alternative St. Louis
3: yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it a a mission. I don't know when I think mission, I think a nonprofit. Well, okay. try do yeah, yeah. What are they trying to do? Yeah, what are we do? What we do? What do they want to see happen? <laughs> right, right. Um, just a socialist program. A socialist program that that includes like, uh, you know, we want those basic things, right? We want that fifteen dollar minimum wage. Mm. We want Medicare for all. Um, we want to be there to eliminate racism, sexism,
0: ableism, Mm -hmm. like we're, we're trying to eliminate those things. Mm -hmm. So when I started thinking about your involvement with Socialist Alternative, what I kind of started wondering was, how do you think about your kind of relationship to or understanding of, for example, the Black Panther Party? like a party just for, you know, black folks or people of color or whatever. And um, when I was kind of looking and exploring that, I was like, okay, so something that was such a big part of kind of fracture was COINTELPRO and also um, infighting within that. So I'm curious to know why socialist alternative or what where do you see the possibilities in politics today, especially given how entrenched that like two-party system, all this gerrymandering nonsense and all that, mm-hmm. um, and you know lobbying, of course. Um,
1: and the smear program against alternative exactly. economy choices. Exactly. The smear program against communism and socialism, mm-hmm. that we've been taught to associate that with some bad feeling. It's almost Pavlovian. Yeah. When somebody says communism, we're like, oh, or socialism, we're like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I think there's a huge opportunity in politics and just in in the U.S. right now for a large left leading group, and you see that with the emergence first of all, like after the after Bernie Sanders became started using that word socialist, mm-hmm. it was the most googled word. Like, <laughs> People were like, what does this mean? Like, they were trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because they they felt a connection to him, right? And they were like, oh, yeah, we can get with this, you know, $15 minimum wage, free education. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we want, you know, Medicare for all. They were like, we can get with this. But they
1: were like, what is socialism? <laughs> <laughs> right? She's moving her fingers yeah. across <laughs> an imaginary keyboard.
3: <laughs> because
0: what?
2: Because Google. there is
3: these negative connotations associated with like socialism and mm-hmm. communism, mm-hmm. Um, and then when someone as prominent as Bernie Sanders uses that word, um, people wanted to really figure it out. Mm-hmm. And with the the surge of, you know, people and you know becoming members of DSA, they have like what twenty five thousand members now. Mm. 25,000 people that are identifying as democratic socialists, it's a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. There was recently, um, and I want to say September 9th, there was a town hall meeting with Socialist Alternative, DSA, um, and there was also, and this was spawned by a petition to get Bernie Sanders to make a call for a revolutionary party.
1: Mm. Mm Mm-hmm
3: they and it was over 35,000 signatures right so there there's a huge opportunity for us to take on a third party that will be representative of the people and not representative of the billionaire class or corporations because that's what it is right now with, with the democrats mm-hmm. it's they're they got other interests mm-hmm. and when they when their campaigns are being paid for by these mass corporations, it's, they're going to put their interest over the interests of the working people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's an opportunity there. So true.
0: Yeah. There's this phrase that I really like that you have, apparently, which is that the poets are the unofficial legislators of the world. <laughs> and I really want to hear you talk about it. And specifically, wow. what's coming to my mind, too, is you know, people talk about the Bernie bros, for example, and the problem that you get when you don't take race into account with a class analysis. So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear your reflections on that, and also, how in the poet world have you seen poets be those unofficial legislators? Or even, how have you seen those ideas and the words that are on stage be brought to life? By the people that you will surround yourself it, with that is
3: not my quote oh no <laughs> <laughs> is it? i can't
0: remember oh okay so sunny has referenced this before I've referenced it as is. an idea okay uh when i think about poets and this
3: is not just like you know people who call themselves poets or this is writers these are rappers I love me some rappers <laughs> you know these, <laughs> these are singers these are mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. in every way um, they they create in their writings this like ideal world mm-hmm. of what you know what it would look like, mm-hmm. what it feels like, what it tastes like, and then you see years from like on you'll see people try to replicate that or I'm thinking about like freaking Karl Marx like mm-hmm. people are. We're we're living by that, right? As mm-hmm. so as socialists we take a, a Marxist perspective, um, to, to analyze like our current systems and then like past history and then provide some type of analysis to say this is what we can look forward to in the future if we if we continue on this route. But mm-hmm. if we decided to take this route, this is what we can look forward to. Um so that's what I that's what I meant by that when they're the unofficial legislatures.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mhm.
0: So, um there's a book that you have, is that correct, The Art of Hurting? Yeah. yeah, so <laughs> I'm thinking about how that probably has resonated with a lot of people, and I I imagine so because, you know, all over the place I see, like, Milk and Honey by Rufi Kaur, and I think there's something about that theme of transforming pain into beauty, or, um, people writing and that being a transformative process a healing process for themselves and in that finding empowerment um, how do you see that playing out in your work have, have people ever talked to you about you know the things that you've written and I think I, I imagine that when when you write something there's so much of yourself that you put on onto paper and then for people to interact with it is something pretty special and at the same time, they never exactly get what your experience is. If you,
3: I like to say that um, poets, we tell all of our business in our writings. Like, yeah. So when I go to like an open mic or something, I'm like, keep this between us. OK. <laughs> so you're creating like an intimate space. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I'm saying that, but you know, share it if you want to. Uh-huh. Um, but in my writing, I kind of just let it all out everything that I'm thinking everything I'm feeling goes on to that goes on to that paper and during that time where I wrote The Art of Hurting it was like a collection of pieces over a year and I was in a very like I was in a very volatile relationship and the day that I did my uh, the book release I was coming I was like coming out of that depression and I was able to share that with People who are really close to me, people that I love, people who probably just walking down the street and saw us, (laughs) saw a bunch of us crowded up and mess a home. Like it was, it was a healing process, and I wanted to share with people and let them know that when you are feeling that way, do the opposite of what you're
0: feeling. Don't allow yourself to be stuck in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: it's that pushing yourself that you were talking about earlier right like who's pushing you mm-hmm. will you push yourself and how hmm and that takes time like you got to build that muscle yeah and so I had to continuously
3: like do all the things that you enjoy like don't get stuck in the depression don't allow it to weigh you down do the things that you love that means get up and dance mm-hmm. that means get out of the house that means go for a walk that means go play some music. That do all the things that you enjoy to do. That means shop on a budget. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because
1: you take it too far, then you, you know you'll be really depressed.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, treasure. I feel like because you and Sunny have so many resonances together in mm-hmm. your backgrounds and what you're doing, I'm curious about how you're you're pushing yourself or what what that's mm. what that, that all looks like or if there's anything that has said that you're like oh my gosh I'm I'm really like being taken back to you know something that is always propelling me or um some of the times <laughs> that I've felt the, those ways or I similar mean
1: yeah yeah I mean there are a couple of resonances the educational resonance is, is I think, intriguing because we were both classroom teachers at one point and dissatisfied classroom teachers at one point. I also was interested in uh, her move from Kinloch to university because at, when I was teaching, and I taught high school mostly, there were so many Sunnies in my classroom who I wasn't able to get my arms around because what was going on in their neighborhood was competing with Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do for them. So your teachers were, because of your personality, you're an observer. You didn't have a parent who was Mm anti-school. So even though your parent wasn't knowledgeable about the college process, they weren't impeding it. So you were kind of ideal. Mm -hmm. But the same reason you got mad at your mentor who said everybody else was lazy, one of the things that she didn't understand was the other people didn't have those same facets. Like some of them had parents who were anti-education or who were like, why don't you try to get that job at McDonald's? Which, of course, is going to lower your grade point average because you can't spend as much time studying. You won't choose the AP classes because you know how rigorous they are. And you're cool with a C or a B in your regular English, right? So I wonder... I wonder what Sonny would say that we need to do, in order to get our arms around more of those, more of those other Sonnies mm. <laughs> in the classrooms.
3: <laughs> oh, get our arms around them Sonnies. Yes, some
1: oh, yeah. other little Sonnies.
3: I tell you the, when I'm thinking about being in my classroom, all I could do was just. Would just like show myself as an educator. Just like show myself. Mm. um, If I was, if I was, you know, honest and and bare with anybody, it was with my students. Like I let them see every part of me and every imperfection. Uh, But then I also made sure that I did at least. Consistently attempt to like stay in connection with their families. Mm. So that meant showing up at their house. Mm-hmm. That meant getting invited to birthday parties and being there. Mm-hmm. Like they really had to to know you and trust you mm. for you to be for you to be that person for them, and for you to for them to even allow you to put the, to put your arms around them. Mm-hmm.
1: Because you did say that your teachers went that extra mile, mm-hmm. like they invited you into their home and that sort of thing.
3: And so I did that with my kids. My kids was walking on Cherokee with me. (laughs) They were walking on Cherokee with me. And I'd be staying in contact with their moms and dads. And and I didn't do, one thing that I did, I didn't, like, just spend all my money on them. I didn't do crazy, like, elaborate things like that to get them to want to be with me or to like me. It was just Mm -hmm. like, I'm just going to be me.
1: Mm -hmm. Right?
3: And that's all I can do. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you're coming from
1: a spirit of genuineness, you know, like you said, they know more than we think they know. Children are much more empathetic than adults because we've been taught to shut out so much of that. So they could feel you, you know, if you're real. And they can feel if you're not real, too. And they'll let you know. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) And then some kids you got to be patient with. I'm thinking about... One, one of my kids that I had, oh my goodness, she broke my heart so many times. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, she broke my heart so many times. But I just, but she still calls me to this day, and we still just sit there, and we just talk on the phone.
1: Mm.
3: She let me know everything that's going on. At mm-hmm. least her version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, What grade is she in? She is in the seventh grade now. In the seventh grade now. Okay, good. It's a
1: crucial time. Right? Oh, God, I would not go back. <laughs>
0: There's
3: a whole story there. Horrid. So what's so crazy is that when you were saying that we connect on the teaching level is Mm -hmm. that all of like the women around me that I admire Mm -hmm. used to be teachers. Interesting. Amanda is a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, I work with two women from the EPA right now with our our cooperative agreement. Both Mm -hmm. of them are teachers. Uh, Paula used to be a facilitator. She's a, the executive director of Thomas Dunn. Mm-hmm. So just to see that, like everybody has that little that mm-hmm. little teacher in them, I don't know, makes me happy, makes mm-hmm. me smile, and I'm like, I got people I can really look up to and admire mm-hmm. and um, model myself after. so mm-hmm. Thank you for
1: that. Well, you know, it also lets you know that you're drawn to people who like roll up their sleeves and do the work. Because mm-hmm. some people be, you know, they be talking about the work. <laughs> but they don't be doing the work. When you'll go in a classroom with kids, you'll do the work.
0: You can't hide. <laughs> right. You gotta hold your bladder. <laughs> yeah, you quiet them down. Right.
1: Right. Right. That's the Quiet that's Coyote the only work. goes
0: so far. <laughs> I saw you doing like a little like shoulder dance. Like clearly it does make you happy. I have kind of a little bit of a challenging question for you. I think we know that you're not necessarily defined by what you do 9 to 5, especially because we surround ourselves with so many creative people. What would you define as a teacher? Like, what makes a teacher? That is a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) It seems so surface, right? Like, Google, as we talked about earlier, you know, (laughs) will tell you one thing, but what does it mean to you? You know, I mean, I can only
3: describe it as someone willing to... To let their guards down and be themselves, right, mm-hmm. and show those, show all of those, those great qualities and those imperfections, but who, but who want the best for the people that they're gonna be engaging with, right? I think, even if I give you that definition I just gave you, I'm going to have to take some time to think about that. Yeah, <laughs> it
1: can be ever-evolving, right. mm-hmm. which is where
0: education should be headed nowadays. Mm. Ever-evolving. Yeah,
1: ever ever we're ever-modifying those tools, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as a St. Louis native um, who came back, you know, that's interesting. That is very interesting. Mm. You know, uh, Karen often... <laughs> <didn't> have to. <laughs> yes. Karen often talks about, you know, um, the Midwest being perceived as flyover country. Mm-hmm. Right? The people mostly recognize, like, Chicago. Mm-hmm. They're like middle, middle country New York. And then there's nothing else until yeah. you get to L.A. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, what made you... Take that TFA assignment in St. Louis and not Philadelphia, Oakland,
3: Harlem. St. Louis was my first choice. Mm. St. Louis and in science was my first choice. Mm-hmm. I, oh my goodness, I knew that I wanted to come back. It, I was supposed to come back, um, but there was this defining moment. I had. I was living in Nashville still going to school out of Vanderbilt and I hadn't been back because I wanted to really like assert my independence and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like let me try this thing on my own and so I even during the summer I would stay mm-hmm. um, even during holidays I would stay and then kind of the last couple weeks of a summer I decided to come back and during that summer the day that I arrive I'm in the car with my sister And she was like, hey, Kayla just, Kayla's in Canfield right now and she's going live on Facebook. Somebody just got shot. Mm. She was like, and I think they got shot like nine times by the cops. And I was like, what? Are you serious? And we lived off of, let me get my streets right, West Florissant and Chambers. Oh, wow. So we're like the heart. Couple blocks. Mm. All I have to do is walk and she she shows me the video and I'm like I'm staying There's, this is a clear sign that I'm supposed to be here because like why would I go somewhere else when like I know St. Louis my family is here I'm connected here and then like I've traveled so many different places I've been to Shanghai, China. Mm -hmm. I've been to Hangzhou. I've been to the UK. I've been to France, Mm -hmm. Mexico, and a couple other cities here in in the States. Mm -hmm. And I said, (laughs) everywhere that I go, one thing that I realized, no matter where I go, I'm still a nigga. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I might as well stay here and do the work. So I'm here and I'm staying and I'm trying and we make a stride, mm-hmm. but we got some way to go.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, that was, um, that gave me chills. I know, <laughs> yeah, that gave me chills. You know, the truth does
0: that, mm-hmm. doesn't it? It's, it's those moments where you're like, that's the last word, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much yeah, thank you. for sharing yeah. with us. Where can we find out more about your work? Is there a current project you're working on? Where can we buy your book?
3: Well, You can look up my book at www.sunnyhutton.com. That's S-U-N-N-I. Hutton like button, but with an H. <laughs> Hutton like button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, currently, I'm at Dutch Town South Community Corporation, and we just... We do work in Marine Villa, Gravoy Park, Mount Pleasant, and uh, Dutch Town trying to resolve the issues of illegal dumping in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We we are high, we're like top 10 neighborhoods when it comes to dumping, and that causes a lot of um, health concerns for Mm -hmm. our residents. Um, Also attracts, you know, vermins and rodents and all of the type of stuff that we we Mm -hmm. ain't prepared for. Mm -hmm. So if you want to look up you know find more about that and get involved with that because we're also doing cleanups in the neighborhood as well you can go to www.dutchtownsouth.org awesome
0: wonderful thank you so much sure. well so um that's really so important that you shared that with us because we love um getting people to support everyone who comes on our podcast mm-hmm. and then to tune into our podcast we are going to be at Podcast.com and that's where people can learn more and support us. Uh, you can book us or contact the people that we've been talking to, um, or donate to buy us a cup of tea or coffee and support media by people of color from flyover country. Mm-hmm. You can like us on <laughs> Facebook and Instagram, and you can email us at whoraysoupodcast at gmail.com to suggest poets, guests, topics, and to help with transcription. Oh, we need some help. Yes. Um, and we're <laughs> thankful to Gelateria Del Leon uh, for giving us this comp- conference room. They have a free reservation system. So if I know <laughs> Treasure Shield, her hands are out. Just I'm just like, freak. Freak. <laughs> so what? Free. Free. We've been talking about, like, we need a map uh, free spaces where people can do creative things all around the city and wherever you are uh, not necessarily just in St. Louis, wherever you call home, <laughs> should be doing that too and uh, if you own a space, you should open it up to other people mm-hmm. uh, we're thankful for consulting by Farfetch Collective, you can contact wearefarfetched at gmail.com to learn more about how they can help you launch or expand your project, business, or nonprofit with their agency framework. Mm-hmm. Um, just before we got here, we had Andrew Warshower in the house, and uh, he's helping us with editing, and we're so thankful to him. Thank God. So, thank you. Uh, <laughs> we just got to talk. We know how to connect with people, and this is us, uh, co-hosted by Treasure Shields Redmond and Karen and Yang. Talk to you soon.
3: <laughs> Maybe I just need you to know Your essence is beautiful